the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. Got questions concerning elder or state law? Attorney Mike Connors has the answer. He was recognized in 2020 as one of New York's top lawyers by New York Magazine and brings over 30 years' experience to the table. His office number is 718-238-6500. That's 718-238-6500. Here's Mike Connors. We are gathered here on hallowed ground. Welcome to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors. Uh, if you haven't heard the show before, yay, welcome aboard. If you have heard the show before, you know what it's about. The first part of the show, we talk about estate planning and elder law. And the idea behind estate planning is to pass assets from one generation to the next, paying the least amount in taxes we need to pay legally, avoiding going through court. And that's very important in today's world, avoiding going through court, avoiding going through probate. And also, as far as elder law is concerned, trying to save assets from nursing home bills. Uh, today I'm accompanied by my wife, Beth. Hello, everybody. My son, Michael. Hello, everyone. Thanks and for joining us. I think we got Otto in the room Otto's tonight here. in the studio. Yeah. yeah. He he's, looks he's, a little lackadaisical right yeah. now. Uh, he had a rough day. Okay. <laughs> now, Beth, what, you know, Michael, where do you email questions to for us? If you want to email questions to us, you just send them over to askmikeconnors at gmail.com. That's askmikeconnors, spelled C-O-N-N-O-R-S, at gmail.com. And we'll try to get back to you. If it's something confidential, obviously we're going to send a confidential answer to you. Um, if it's something that you want read on the air, we may end up sharing it with our audience. All right, but, you know, I'm gonna we're going to summarize. Beth, what's one question that we keep getting all the time? This is the biggie. Um... I know you talk about trusts and everything else, but then people will come back, well, if I have a trust, do I have to have a will? Um, so the question is, why do you need a will? Well, the answer is, and I'm going to try to explain it in depth today, everybody should have a will. And, and you know, some people say, well, I don't need a will. Everything I own is in trust for someone else, joint with someone else. I don't need a will. Well, we're going to go through some of the examples of why you may need a will. Uh, first of all, the person you may be joint with or in trust for, they may pass away before you, or maybe something happens as a result of a, a common accident. It doesn't happen often, but let's face it, those things do happen. People do get killed in car accidents. People sometimes die one right after another and sometimes in the wrong order, and those things happen. But no matter how you plan things out, there may be events that you, you need a will. I'll give some examples. And, and one of the examples I give in the seminars I talk about a lady who was an SSI, and she didn't have any real money. She had $2,000 who was joint with her best friend. And her best friend would take her out to lunch, make sure she had a place to stay for the holidays. 
and not because the woman on SSI didn't have a family, she had a sister, but the sister in, a, in effect disowned her and never had anything to do with the woman on SSI because the woman on SSI was physically disfigured. So this woman on SSI, she lived in what we used to call a welfare hotel. I guess some people still call it that. She didn't even own the furniture in the hotel room. So again, everything she owned was one bank account joint with her best friend. She didn't even own the furniture in the hotel room. She didn't have any jewelry to speak of. Why did she need a will? Okay. There was a fire in the welfare hotel. The woman on SSI died in the fire. Other people were hurt. Lawsuits were brought. The friend paid for the funeral. The sister didn't go to the funeral. After the money from the lawsuits start to get collected, who gets the money from the lawsuit? The sister, who never even had anything to do with the woman on SSI, or the friend who took care of her. That's one reason everybody should have a will. You never know what's going to happen. And the same example could be, God forbid you're crossing the street, you get hit by a bus. That car accident, the money from the car accident, we can't put that in the trust. We can after the accident happens, not before. So if as a result of that accident you pass away, you know, the will it goes to wherever the state wants it to go. And again, as, as I mentioned before, let's say you could have everything joint with one person. That person could die before you. I remember once in a while different banks, when the banks were taking over one bank after another, one time there was a, two major banks, one took over the other, and when the second bank took over the bank accounts, they lost in their computer programs the beneficiaries on all the accounts. And that caused a problem, and those assets went through probate if the family couldn't produce the beneficiary forms, which who keeps a beneficiary form that maybe you changed 20 years ago? You know, who's going to keep it within your papers and, and so forth? So we needed the will to collect those assets. You know, sometimes you think you got everything covered, or maybe maybe you do. Maybe you opened up an IRA years ago, and you put your parents as beneficiaries of the IRA, and you never updated it, and you pass away and your parents are gone, well, that those IRA assets that have your parents as beneficiary, again, a will, we can collect those assets. And in some cases, you know, if there's no family member to collect, a lot of times most families get together and they work together on the same page and so forth, but sometimes it doesn't, and that's why you, you may ha have a will. I'll give you another story of a woman who didn't think she needed a will. She had a, a, quite a few annuities, and she had beneficiaries on all her annuities, and that's pretty much everything she owned, uh, except she died in her apartment, the police put a seal on her apartment. Um, woman didn't have a will, didn't have an executor appointed. So the landlord was taking direct withdrawals from her checking account to pay for her rent. Well, this woman, the beneficiaries of the annuities were friends. That's who she wanted to be. But her family members, they didn't care. They didn't want to get involved. They didn't get anything from her annuities. So what happened? We couldn't get inside the apartment because no family member wanted to sign a petition for what we call letters of administration to get inside the apartment. So all the furniture, and she had some nice furniture, was basically thrown out on the street eventually when the landlord brought an eviction proceeding, when all the money that was in her checking account got drained, you know, at a rate of, about, I think she had about $1,000 a month rent then, so all the money in the checking account was drained, and then the landlord brought an eviction proceeding. So... We lost about $10,000 in the checking account because she didn't have a will, but we lost the furniture, and she had some nice furniture and jewelry, and that was lost. And again, you know, on a will, jewelry, for the most part, 
you can't put jewelry in a trust. You can. If you have expensive jewelry, we can do a trust agreement for the jewelry. But if you, you know, ordinarily, that goes to the family members who get there first, unfortunately. But if you have a will, at least somebody's able to access it. Um, sometimes you have a safe deposit box, and people forget about safe deposit boxes, and maybe even joint with someone. Maybe there's something in that box. And again, if you pass away, if the bank finds out that you passed away, they're going to seal the box. And you're going to say, how is the bank going to find out that they, you passed away? They're going to read obituary columns? We don't publish obituaries anymore. Well, here's what happens. If your Social Security check goes into that bank, Social Security tells the bank that you passed away, in effect, by stopping the Social Security and telling them that you died. And that way, the bank computers, they know it. The upstairs knows what the downstairs is doing in today's world. They may seal the box. You want to get inside the box. Maybe there's nobody who can apply to be the administrator of the estate to open up that box. So, again, a will comes in handy. You know, we talked about the traffic accidents. We talked about if you have everything joint with one person, that person, something happens to you. Sometimes it may be some small things or whatever. Somebody dies in a hospital and you want to pick up their personal items or whatever. Maybe the hospital administrator is going to ask to see for a copy of the will to find out who the executor of the will is to turn over the, the assets that, in effect, the next of kin or the executor. Sometimes you're trying to make a funeral. Your funeral's not completely paid. The executor under will has a right to bind the estate to pay the funeral bill, and in that case, the funeral director feels comfortable in making the, the funeral arrangements. And again, sometimes if you don't have anybody, it's hard. Yeah, you can make funeral arrangements, whatever. But if you have an executor under your will, it's a little bit easier. And I can't tell you how many times, how many times some of these things happen. If you have a pet, you know, in theory, a pet, assuming you didn't put your pet into a trust, the pet goes through your will. And, and you know, if there's no clear authority and the, the police get involved because somebody died in the apartment, there's no clear authority, you might have a problem. You, again, if the police get involved, there's cash in the apartment. The police get the cash in the apartment. They turn it over to the public administrator. The public administrator is holding the assets. If there's no will, those assets may go to the state. Now, yeah, if you have a, a son or daughter or a close relative, they can apply to be the administrator of your estate, and they will get appointed administrator of your estate, but it's still always easy to have a will. And, of course, if you don't have relatives, if you don't have a will, those assets may go to New York State. I'll give you an example. A uh, husband and wife, you know, they didn't have any children. They owned a house together. Husband had a number of brothers and sisters. Uh, he had six nephews and nieces. His brothers and sisters all passed on. The wife was an only child. Her mother, now deceased, was an only child. Her father, now deceased, was an only child. This couple owned a house together. Again, the husband had six nephews and nieces. The wife didn't have any relatives. Uh... Because, again, her mother was an only child, now deceased. Her father was an only child, now deceased. So, obviously, she didn't have any brothers, sisters, nephews, and nieces or anything like that. So, the, the couple's driving one day. They're in a car accident. Husband's pronounced dead at the scene. Wife's rushed to the hospital. She lingers on for a few days. And, you know, then she dies. The house would, in that case, pass to New York State. And you say, how would that happen? The husband had a number of nephews and nieces. The assets don't go to the state if you have nephews and nieces. Yes, but here's the thing. When the wife died, she was single. She was widowed. In the fact pattern we give, she doesn't have any nephews and nieces. She doesn't have any brothers or sisters. We said they didn't have any children. So the assets in her name alone passed to New York State. If 
if when you pass away, you're not married, your parents are gone, you have no, again, you're not married, you have no children, grandchildren, you have no nephews and nieces, you don't have any descendants of your grandparents, which basically would be your uncle, aunt, first cousin, first cousin once removed. If you don't have a relative close in that, the assets in your name alone would pass to the state. And again, that occurs if the assets were joint with your husband, who died just a few days earlier, those assets in that case would pass to New York State. And that's, you know, it's a safeguard. If you have a will, your assets, for most part, are not going to pass to New York State. You know, and the will's got to be properly signed. And here's one other thing. When I say a will, you should have a will that's properly drafted. Um, a lot of people print up will kits, and they print up wills off the Internet. They get any two people to witness the wills. Well, that's all fine and good, but it's not that simple. A will is not simple. It's not like you fill out a form, and it's okay. A will is a, a document that's drafted that's witnessed by two people who are willing to swear, usually in court, that they witnessed a will that was signed in accordance with the laws of the state of New York. And sometimes somebody just prints up a will, they get anybody to sign it. The court wants to interview the witnesses to the will. Maybe the two witnesses to the will were two neighbors who don't want to get involved. Or worse, two people off the street because somebody bought a will kit somewhere. And, you know, I, this happened to us on We the People. If those remember that, they were practically practicing law without a license. But they would, let's say, sell somebody a will kit and then say, okay, we'll get two people to witness it and sign the will. You got two people to witness the will. The two people to witness the will were two virtual strangers off the street, and they had very common names, and it took an awfully long time to track them down. To We, we had to get private investigators to track them down, and it took years, and we had a $4 million estate held in limbo forever because we had a will, yes. We had a will that really was properly signed and drafted, but we didn't have two ready, willing, and able witnesses you know, to come forth and say that the will was properly signed, we had to trace them. You had a comment, Beth? Yeah, I mean, I have witnessed, you know, I've been with Michael helping him for the longest time and witnessed hundreds of wills, hundreds of wills. I know the procedure, you know, I know what you, I know what the attorney must do. I know that I must be asked by the the person do you want to witness my will would you please witness my will and and there's a procedure um and even though i know it in and out whenever i have to talk to someone from the court or the other attorney i get nervous you know if you have somebody if your neighbor uh, you know a friend if they sign it you don't realize how nerve-wracking this can be yeah, and, and, and I mean, even let's say you got three kids, they get along. You say, well, I don't need a will. Everything's going to go to three kids. Well, if something goes through the court, those kids have to be bonded. That's an insurance com company. They're going to charge money, and there could be a delay because maybe the kids can't be bonded for whatever reason. Um, well, if you have a will and you say, I direct my executor, let's say, which was going to be one of your children or nephews and nieces or whomever, and they're not required to file a bond, well, in that case, that makes it easy on them. Believe me, everybody should have a will. I mean, you plan things out that when you pass away, you don't need the will, that you have assets, you know, with beneficiaries. If you own real estate, of course, we want to do a trust. Anytime you own real estate, we want to put the house in the trust so it goes out tax-free to the children. I, I should probably also mention that New York State and, and the federal government, they announced some of their numbers now. 
the ordinarily if you make a gift right now, if your gift is less than fifteen thousand dollars per person, you don't have to file a gift tax return as of January first, whatever six weeks from now. If the gift is under sixteen thousand dollars, you will not have to file a gift tax return. There's a lot of confusion in this area. Just because you have to file doesn't mean you're going to pay a tax. Now, we're still not 100% out of the woods, but it does look like the federal, estate, and gift tax rules are not going to change. But some back deal could be made, you know, behind closed doors in the middle of the night and whatever, and maybe something that we don't expect to happen will happen, and the estate tax, gift, and state and gift tax rules may be changed. But right now, it doesn't look that it would be changed. So there's no federal estate and gift tax in $11,700,000 today. As of January 1st, it'll be $12,060,000. I'd have to double-check that, but that's close to being right. And for New York State, it'll probably be the same amount. If you're at $6,060,000, there will be no estate tax in New York. There's no tax between husband and wife. Husband can leave his wife $100 million. Wife can leave her husband $100 million. There's no estate and gift tax between husband and wife. If they're not U.S. citizens, there may be some point. You may want to give us a call, schedule an appointment, and talk it over because then we may need a, a, a co-executor in what we call a qualified domestic trust if the spouses, let's say, are not U.S. citizens. But if you have any questions about estate law, you want to come in, you want to talk it over with me, and we go through, through things top to bottom depending on your circumstances, you can always give us a call at Connors & Sullivan at 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500. We do not charge for the initial consultation. The first consultation is free. Everything we do as far as estate planning and elder law is on a flat fee basis. We don't charge by the hour. We charge by the job. So you come in. We talk it over. I'll give you my recommendations based on my experience. And then we take it from there. And then you decide what you want to do, what you want to go ahead with. And sometimes they're financial decisions. But if you own real estate, we certainly want to put the house in trust. We don't want a house right now to go through probate. And in, in some counties in New York right now, probate is a nightmare. And it's not good wherever you are because even with the best judge in the world, things are a little tight. People are not working full time in the court system. Things are not going smoothly. And in some, in some parts, in some courtrooms, there are judges that haven't signed orders in 18 months. And so if somebody died with a will leaving their house to their son and daughter, let's say 20 months ago, and it was filed in that particular court, and you don't have a choice where you file. It depends when you die and where you die, where you, resi where you reside before you die. Well, if you file that will 20 months ago, those children cannot sell your house now almost two years later. So we want to avoid probate. You don't want your children to have to go through court. And even when things were running at optimal and probate was a few months, it was still red tape and paperwork, and you still were better off staying out of the court system, staying out of probate. And, again, that's one of our goals. When we do estate planning, we want to avoid probate. We want to pay the least amount in taxes that we need to pay legally. And believe me, one of the things we want to do is not pay taxes. The government gets enough of your money. If you figure out how much you really pay in taxes when you take everything, not only your income taxes and your payroll taxes, not only that, but the, what you pay in gasoline and tax, what you pay you know, in some of your foods because, all right, well, I don't pay tax on, on the foods I buy. Yeah, but at the same time, the manufacturers, the processors of those food, they're paying taxes, and that's incorporated into your price. So when they talk about taxing corporations, you're not paying the tax, you're taxing the corporation. That gets passed on every little bit 
of every good or service that you buy is being taxed. And you pay probably way more. All of us pay way more than 50% of our income on taxes. So we don't want to pay any more. So come in. We'll try to get a plan together to, to minimize the estate tax. You know, if we owe the tax, we owe the tax. But we're going to work very hard to keep your money from the government. So if you want, give us a call at Connors & Sullivan at 718-238-6500. 718-238-6500. We're going to be talking a short break. We'll be back in a couple of minutes. Thank you for listening to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors. See you back in just a few minutes. If you're a homeowner age 62 or older and are finding it hard to pay off debt, or how about enjoying your retirement years with less stress? A government-insured reverse mortgage may be the answer or might be the perfect solution for you and your family. Hi, this is Frank Melia, a certified mortgage planner. I've been a mortgage specialist for over 20 years, and I've helped countless homeowners all over the tri-state area tap into a little or a lot of their home equity so they can use it right now. This past October, the federal government made changes to the reverse mortgage loan program. Give me a call now so our office can show you how these changes affect how much money you receive and how the annual mortgage insurance costs have decreased. My job is to help you find the best solutions for your retirement goals. I do this by educating homeowners with straightforward information and answers. It's free to call and speak with me, Frank Melia, to determine if this FHA program might be able to help you and your loved ones now. Call and speak with me right now. I'll answer your questions and help you decide if a reverse mortgage is right for you and your family. Make the call now, 888-943-2646, or try me on the internet at www.quanticbank.com backslash fmelia. Once again, call 888-943-2646, and you could be on your way to a stress-free retirement. Frank Melia, NMLS number 62591. All loans provided by Quantic Bank, NMLS number 403503. The Guild for Exceptional Children, or GEC, has been providing excellent care to children and adults with developmental disabilities since 1958. It is our mission to help build better lives and brighter futures for the people in our care. We serve nearly 1,000 individuals each day and are proud that 90 cents of every dollar is used for actual services. Please visit www.gecbklyn.org or call 718-833-6633 to learn more. How can I protect my family if something happens to me? What if I need to go to a nursing home? What will happen to our savings, our home? What's the best way to give my home to my kids? Who will help us take care of Grandpa? These and many other questions can be answered with a phone call to Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law, PLLC, 718-238-6500. Mike Connors, one of New York Magazine's top lawyers, has over 30 years of estate planning and elder law experience. Mike and his team of professionals will help you protect your assets from probate, taxes, and nursing home costs so you can have peace of mind knowing you and your family will be taken care of and protected. I'm Mike Connors, founder of Connors & Sullivan. People don't plan to fail, they fail to plan. The time to plan is now. I'm Beth Connors. Call today for a free initial consultation with one of our experienced lawyers. Connors and Sullivan in Brooklyn, Queens, Manhattan, and Staten Island. Call 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500, or connorsandsullivan.com. Time now for Connors Corner, where Mike takes a closer look at topics like history, politics, religion, and more. Here's Mike. Welcome to the Connors Corner segment of Ask the Lawyer. Right now, up next, we have an old friend of the show. In fact, I, I 
Pat Novikovsky. I saw him. What was it last month or so? We saw I, we saw you down in Washington at the St. John Paul yeah. Center. Uh, yes, that was in preparation for the National Catholic Prayer Breakfast. Right, right. Now you live. Where do you live, Pat? I live in Northern Virginia. Okay, so I think you guys had an election last week. We did. Very exciting election with some very good results. Okay, now as a Catholic, why would you say it's good results? Well, uh, I'm I'm a pro-life Catholic. Um, My full-time job is running a a pregnancy center, crisis pregnancy center in Northern Virginia. And I'm also a Catholic author and writer and uh, I guess you could say a pro-life activist. So, you know, for me, the ultimate... um, test of of a leader politician or otherwise is is something that john paul ii said he said that america's greatness is only measured by how it treats the most vulnerable particularly the 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 unborn in the womb so i really look at at that in a politician and if he gets that part right then, then I'm interested in hearing what he has to say about everything else. Because like, like anyone else in, in the culture, if, if you treat the vulnerable with dignity and respect, then, then you are in my respect, no matter if that's an unborn person, a disabled person, um, you know, a, a, an elderly person in the nursing home. If you treat them with respect, then I expect that you're going to get most of the other stuff right or get pretty close. So, the three folks that we've elected here are our lieutenant governor, our, um, our, our governor, and, um, you know, <laughs> being an immigrant from Canada, I don't always look at the titles. Um, <laughs> anyway, we, we, we've elected three pro-lifers to statewide office in, in the state of Virginia, and that makes me happy. Well, that's really quite a turnaround since you're uh, considering your last governor. Yeah, well, your present absolutely. governor still. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Ralph Northam said that if a baby is born a- after an abortion, uh, survives the abortion, well, let's just put him on a table and keep him comfortable until he dies. Uh, you know, that's quite a different sentiment treating the vulnerable than than someone who says, "Yes, we need to uphold the dignity of the child in the womb and save them and their mother from the violence of abortion." So. Um, so Governor-elect Youngkin has my support. He has my ear. And not only that, but the House of Delegates in Virginia is also uh, filled with pro-lifers, and uh, the Republicans have taken over the, the House of Delegates. So it's an exciting time. I don't, I don't know if Virginia is going to follow Texas and Mississippi and, and Florida in becoming a red state. We'll see. Um, and again, you know, Youngkin is, is a brand new politician like Donald Trump. He had never held office before. He's a businessman. So we'll see what kind of policies he puts forward and, and where he goes with this, because campaigning is one thing, but governing is quite another. Yeah. Now, you know, we we're talking about, uh, you know, St. John Paul and, and you wrote a book about, uh, about John Paul. Can you explain to the audience what the book is and can we still get it? <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Well, let me give you some background. I worked for a religious order of Polish priests and brothers for five years in the late 90s, early 2000s. And in that experience in in writing for them, they sent me to Rome every year. And I had the chance to meet John Paul II five times between 1997 and 2002. 
So he died in 2005, and, you know, I was thinking about my experiences with him and, and what is God saying I should do with that because uh, how does a, I'm a farm kid from Saskatchewan, Canada. How does that happen that I get to meet this great Pope five times and actually have conversations with him? So um, we were coming up on his 100th birthday in May of 2020, and, and it struck me that I had already been giving talks about this all across the country, talking about his legacy and the great things that he did. So I decided to put that into a book, and I called it 100 Ways John Paul II Changed the World. And, and yes, it's still available. It's really kind of a primer on, on John Paul II. If you really want to understand him in a very easy read, uh, that's really how I put it together. Each of those 100 Ways is only a page, page and a half. So it's a really condensed biography that, that kind of gives you a snapshot of, of his influence, not only on the Catholic Church, but on the world for 26 and a half years. And, and yes, it's available. People can get it on Amazon. Uh, it was published by Our Sunday Visitor, so you can get it on their website, or you can buy an autographed copy from me. And that website is really easy, booksbypatrick.com. Booksbypatrick.com. Okay, I don't think even I can screw that one up. You never know. I'm the, I'm not the best guy on the computer and typing stuff in, but I think I could make that one. But give us an example. I mean, I think, you know, as history moves on, I don't think people realize how the world was so much different when John Paul took the office of the papacy as opposed to now. I mean, we had communism. You know, of course, we may, oh my gosh, we yeah. have communism in New York, but that's a little different. <laughs> yeah, John, John Paul II grew up in a free Poland. Um, he was 18 years old. He moved to Krakow. He started college. And a year later, the Nazis moved in and rolled their tanks over, or, over the whole country. And his education was put to a very quick halt. Um, in that time, he wanted to be an actor. And uh, then his father died and the Nazis took over. And he started thinking more about God. And he left acting to become a priest. Now, at the time he joined the seminary, the Nazis were rounding up seminarians and shooting them in the head. So he literally risked his life as a young man to, to become a seminarian, to become a priest. By the time he was ordained, the Nazis had been eliminated. And the West kind of said, oh, Soviet Union, here you take over Poland. And, and so he lived under this oppressive communist regime. His entire priesthood, he became bishop, auxiliary bishop of, of Krakow, then, then archbishop of Krakow. And then uh, in 1978, still communist in Poland, he became the pope. Uh, he came back to Poland a year after he was elected and essentially did a, a tour of the whole country. Millions of people saw him and he called down the Holy Spirit on the land and rallied the people to to live their faith, to be to, to live like free people. And and that was something that the communist government could not stop. Ten years later the Berlin Wall fell because Reagan teamed up with John Paul II. And matter of fact, in seventy nine, when John Paul went back to Poland for the first time as Pope, Reagan was at his ranch in California watching this on T V. And as most of your listeners will know, who grew up in the 60s and 70s, Reagan was one of the most ardent advocates against communism in the United States. 
all through his governorship of, of, of California um, and, of course, into his pres- presidency. But Reagan was campaigning for president. He saw John Paul II in Poland, and he said the Pope is the key. He is the key to ending communism in Eastern Europe. And he was right. So one of the first things Reagan did as president was appoint the very first ambassador to the Holy See and then teamed up with John Paul II. And they collaborated. They shared intelligence. A lot of it's still classified. And uh, one thing led to another. And we have freedom in Eastern Europe. Yeah. And, you know, like I remember once, you know, reading an article you know, just after the Berlin fall and the Soviet Union started to collapse, and there was an article of how people derided Reagan for his naivety about the end of, <laughs> of communism. You know that it could happen. They were they were they were taking quotes from him in the eighties, and you know that'll be on the ash heap of history. And of course, he was right, and all the intellectuals were totally wrong at that time. Oh yeah, and we we all know the 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 speech that he gave at the Brandenburg Gate. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. And the silly thing is that everybody on Reagan's staff said, oh, Mr. President, you can't say that. And he says, well, I'm going to say it. They took it out of the speech. He put it back in the speech. He took it out again. He put it back in again. He said it, and he was right. Well, you know, I'll tell you something. I served three years in Germany, and if you told me at one point that that wall was coming down, I would say you're crazy. It's going to stay up for our lifetimes. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm, I grew up in Canada, and I always thought that when this nuclear war started, Russia was going to send its missiles over the North Pole, and America was going to send theirs back, and they would land right on my head in Canada. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was my greatest fear, because... I mean, everybody thought that's how it was going to end, right? Right. And no. uh, and then 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 came Gorbachev, who who was secretly baptized when he was a baby, and they didn't tell us that. So he was baptized as a child. He never would have been the leader of the Soviet Union or even in the Politburo had they known he was baptized. But but he was. Now, if I may, all in God's great providence. <laughs> if I may, um, having gone to McGill, you know, you being Canadian. I mean, the, the culture conflict there, we, we underestimate the differences between us and Canada sometimes. And, I mean, you know, how how are Canadian Catholics dealing with Justin Trudeau? Mm. Well, it depends how you how you measure their Catholicism, honestly. I mean, if, if you're a, a fervent Catholic, a Sunday church-going Catholic who understands the faith— uh, you're very frustrated by by Mr. Trudeau, as we were back in the 70s by his father. Um, so I, I know. And and here's the thing uh, that, that where, where Canada and the United States actually have some similarities. There are four countries in the world that have no restrictions on abortion, North Korea, China, Canada and the United States. How is that even possible that two of the most civilized countries and two of the most <laughs> communist countries uh, have have the same policy on abortion. All, every European country has restrictions on abortion. We don't. So uh, how civilized are we really? And and I think a lot of the problems in the culture it stem from this even whole our dog is abortion. Yeah. Uh, well, you you can't, you can't kill a dog, but you can kill an unborn baby. You can't. Uh, 
break the turtle's eggs on the beach, but or or the the eagle's nest full of of eagle's eggs, but the the baby in the womb is is open it's open open season. I mean, it's ridiculous if you think about it. Um, and there are consequences to this. You know, if we keep in life and say it's expendable at one stage of development, the unborn, then who's to say that any other stage can't arbitrarily be chosen as expendable as well? Or the elderly so it, who are no longer really, useful to society. I mean, well, remember, we're broadcasting from a trust and estates firm. So, uh, of course, yeah. of course, you know, you, you, you put the COVID patients into the nursing home and of course you reduce the population of the nursing home and, and it eases the burden, the financial burden on the state, right? Yeah. I, so, you know, I don't want to be that cynical, but that, that did occur to me. You know, uh, oh. mo- most of the people in the nursing homes, their bills are paid by Medicaid after a while. And so at the rate yeah. of $12,000, $13,000 a month for each person that died, the state doesn't have to pay for that. Now, I I really did not want to be that cynical, but it did, it did cross my mind. Oh, it's crossed the minds of everyone who's observed what what's gone on, and it's not just in New York; it's in other states where uh, where it's open season on the unborn, you know. And our, our castle president wants to codify Roe v. Wade in law, and that will nullify all of the state laws that have been enacted to protect the unborn. So if that happens, then whether Roe v. Wade is, is overturned in the, at the Supreme Court, it, it's a moot point because it, it will have been codified. So this year leading up to next June, when, when the Supreme Court will decide on the Mississippi law that protects the unborn, uh, they're, they're also debating the, um, the Texas law. Um, it, it's going to be a, a really a, a fundamental decision that will either shift or, or uh, put a uh, kind of a dark line on where we are, where we stand as a nation when it comes to protecting the unborn from the violence of abortion. Yeah, and, and you bring up a very good point. I mean, if, if the Supreme Court overturns Roe v. Wade, it goes back to the states. And what Absolutely. this Congress is trying to do, well, no, the states, you don't have any control. We're going to legislate for you through the Congress. Mm-hmm. Now, this is not going to pass right now, but you never know what's going to happen in the future. Well, they did this with marriage, right? I mean, it right. was up to each state. On, on the, A lot of states passed uh, constitutional amendments protecting marriage as between one man and one woman. Then the, uh, the, the Supreme Court ruled that it's open season for marriage. You can marry whoever you want uh, and, and really kind of threw out the state's rights on marriage. So they can do the same on abortion. It's the same on, on, on virtually anything overriding the states. And I really don't know that that's what the framers intended. All right. Well, we're running out of time. But, Pat, one last thing. What, are you, what, what book are you working on now, and when do we expect to see it out? Well, I'm a big fan of Pope Benedict XVI. So my sequel, I've got an outline. I don't expect it to be out for another year, but it will be called 100 Ways Pope Benedict XVI Changed the World. Now, I, I mean, I think most people at first glance, they would agree with you that John Paul changed the world. How did Benedict change the world, if you can give us an example? Well, honestly, there wouldn't, John Paul II would not have been as successful as he was without Benedict at his side. They met at the conclave that elected John Paul I in 1978, um, when John Paul II was elected three months later, <laughs> uh, and we had three popes in one year in 1978. Um, 
he asked Cardinal Ratzinger to join him at the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith and to lead that. He had been a new, the newly elected um, Archbishop of Munich, and he said, I'm kind of new at this, kind of, you know, give me some time. So in 1982, which is we're coming up on 40 years since Benedict went to the Vatican, and he actually did. So about four or five years later, he, he acquiesced and he said, OK, Holy Father, I'll, I'll come. He came to the Vatican. He worked for John Paul II. Uh, Benedict is a, is a theologian. John Paul II was a philosopher. They're like two halves of a great brain, right, that, that really powered the, the intellectual uh, and, and, and even the um, uh, what I'm looking for. The, it's not political, but the, um, the work that John Paul II did. Uh, it, it was really the two of them together collaborating. They met every week, every Friday. They met and, and talked for hours. And uh, I really think that collaboration was essential to uh, John Paul II changing the world as he did. But Benedict also on his own, uh, he, he set up the Anglican Ordinariate. So there are a lot of Anglicans that were leaving the Anglican Church converting to Catholicism, he kind of just made it a little bit easier and allowed them to have their own right, their own way to convert, and their own bishop in the Catholic Church. So that, that, was, that was really fundamental uh, in, in, in his papacy. Uh, he wrote this beautiful series on Jesus called the Jesus of Nazareth series, three books, uh, reflections on the life of Jesus, and really profound works, really profound works. Are you, are you going to involve the speech at Regensburg at all? Oh, of course. Of course. I think that was kind of a hinge point. He, he kind of made mention of in Regensburg uh, about halfway through his papacy of, 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 of Islam, and it really ignited a firestorm around um, Islam and Catholicism. And um, I, I have not delved into that too much, so I can't really speak to it very much. But, yes, of course, that was um, kind of a touchstone of his papacy as well. Well, I mean, I, and of I, course, I think one of, course of the things is I think one of the things is that in each generation, we have a different enemy to tackle. And yeah. for John Paul, it was atheism. It was the Soviet mm -hmm. Union. And so for him going against Islam was not necessarily something that he wanted to, you know, it wasn't a battle he wanted to fight. But for Benedict, yeah, he, yeah. Saw, he saw the coming enemy, so to speak. Yeah, and, and, I, and I think, I don't, I don't necessarily think he saw Islam as an enemy, more as we, we need to see Islam for what it is, for, for what it truly is. Um, I really think that when he talked about the dictatorship of relativism, the, the, the fact that relativism was becoming a, a, a current in the culture that we needed to be aware of and we needed to kind of put a halt to where, you know, the idea that you have your truth, I have my truth, but there, there is no um, absolute truth to anything. I mean, uh, of course that, that's BS. That thinking is just you know, wrong. It's, it's complete BS. Of course it is. Yeah, but that, that's the way some people think these days. Uh, and, and so I think that will, in my book, will rank very high, uh, his confronting the dictatorship of relativism and building on the work that John Paul II uh, worked on. I mean, he also was very strong on divine mercy. You know, John Paul II opened St. Faustina's cause for canonization. He, um, he saw her, her, um, 
her, her diary, had it translated, had it authenticated, uh, and then proclaimed Divine Mercy Sunday, the Sunday after Easter. Catholics will know what I'm talking about <laughs> in your audience. Um, and then Pope Benedict kind of continued that tradition. He also continued John Paul's tradition of World Youth Day that Pope Francis has, has picked up on. Um, so there are a lot of things that, that John Paul II laid out and, and that Benedict and Francis have continued and, and even accelerated. Pat, just in closing right now, can you repeat your website again? And what's on your website? Yeah, so um, I'm also a public speaker. I do a lot of public speaking, um, and, and my book is for sale on my website, so a little bit more about me. Just go to booksbypatrick.com. Booksbypatrick.com. Patrick, thank you for very much for being on Connor's Corner. We hope to see you soon. Good to be with you again, Mike. I think I just found myself believing that I didn't need God. I just had everything under control, and church was actually a, a burden to me. I might have gone to church, you know, at Christmas time, gradually quit going. No, I didn't take my faith seriously, which, which probably means I, I never really got it to begin with. You can have a beautiful car, a big fancy home, but if you don't have Christ in your life, there's an emptiness that's there. We are enslaved to power or to greed or to wealth or to lust, especially as a man, but there's a true freedom to not be enslaved, but to attach ourselves to God and to be free. Thank God I'm home. Now that I'm back in the Catholic Church, I'm a new person. I love it. There's peace in our home that we didn't have before. You're coming home to a Catholic family where people today just embrace you. If you've been away from the Catholic Church for whatever reason, we invite you to take another look. Visit CatholicsComeHome.org today. Do you have somewhere to sleep? Did you eat today? Are you making ends meet? For thousands of New Yorkers, the answer is no. For children and youth, adults, seniors, people struggling with addiction or mental illness, and for the isolated, Catholic Charities of Brooklyn and Queens is there. With 160 programs and more than 4,500 units of affordable housing, Catholic Charities is one of the largest multi-service charitable organizations in the nation. We help change lives and build communities. If you or someone you know needs assistance, call 718-722-6001 or visit CCB. Do you know how many Christians live in the Middle East? Six million people. Do you know how many Christians need your help? Every single one. Do you know what we can do? With St. Francis in Beirut, we can give them hope. We can give them medicines. We can give them medical equipment. We can give them everything they're looking for because some others decided to remove Christianity from the Middle East. But if we will help them every single day, not just to feed them or clothing, it's all about giving them another day with the idea that they are recognized, that we love them, they are cousins, sisters, they are roots. So, St. Francis in Beirut, it's all about helping Christians. And you can be part of that help too. If you want to help Father Paul in his mission, send your donations to St. Francis in Beirut, 213 Stanton Street, New York, New York, 10002. Uh, you know, the last time I saw Pat Novikovsky was um, we were at a dinner in Washington at the John Paul Center, which, of course, Pat wrote the book on John Paul, one of the books on John Paul. And we were, we were at a table together, and Father Paul was at the table, and which... Some of you asking, how's Father Paul doing when he's come back? I don't know. He's incommunicado right now, which is not unusual. 
you know, in his case in the, the Middle East. He was supposed to come back on November 9th. His schedule schedule can change on a minute's notice. Somebody gets shot, beheaded. Oh, goodness. In the Middle East, something happens. We just it's, don't know. Yeah, we yeah. don't know. And I'm sorry to say that, but that's what the truth is. But in any event, Father Paul was at the table, and he's speaking to Pat in Polish. Later, some guy comes down from French Canada or whatever, and he, he says hello, sits at our table. Father Paul is then speaking to him in French. And then we had two other guests from Catholic Vote, or actually we were their guests from Catholic Vote. So then we go out and we you know, call for an Uber to drive us to our respective hotels and uh, places. And, you know, a Uber driver comes up. His name's Mohammed. So then Father Paul starts talking to him in Arabic. <laughs> and these guys are just astounded because they, they, it was the first time they met him. And so here he goes. He's talking French to one guy. He's talking to Polish to another guy. And then all of a sudden, this cab driver, and they're talking in some language that they don't even know, you know, what it is. And, and by the way, if you're asking, you know, when Father Paul gets back, we're going to start again. Obviously, you know, any bit of money that can help him. He doesn't need a lot of money to get by because he, you know, he doesn't collect this real salary for himself. Um, just, you know, minimal three, four hundred dollars a, a, a month. Um, but all of his money he collects goes to his medical mission. So he doesn't need a lot to keep it going. But every dollar really is appreciated. So if, if at this Christmas season you're looking for somebody to donate to, you can think of St. Francis and Beirut. Right now we can give you a charitable deduction. We've been approved by the IRS for the charitable deductions. You can mail a check either to our office at, at 7408 Fifth Avenue, Brooklyn, New York, or Stanton Street. I forget the address right now. I think it's 213 Stanton Street in New York in Manhattan. But either way, the check will get to Father Paul, and every little bit that you can give him is really appreciated, really can be used. And we're going to hope to get Father Paul on the show as soon as he gets back, as soon as he can do the radio interviews. You know, he hopefully he'll be back very soon. He told us November 9th, but his schedule is always up we in the air. We yeah, just we don't, just don't know. We just don't know. He'll as soon as he gets in and is settled in a little bit, he'll let he'll get in touch with us, and he'll be back on the air. All right. Meanwhile, you know, let's remember Thanksgiving. Um, enjoy Thanksgiving this yeah. next week. I hope, ev- hope everybody... supply chain issues don't hit you and your family oh my too goodness. hard. Um, I hope you're not one of those families that's kicking everyone out who hasn't been vaccinated. Oh. You know, we're all vaccinated. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But, <laughs> I, you know, these men, I mean, everyone seems to be going crazy these days with the <laughs> telling their fellow citizens what to do. Um. Just a happy, a happy Thanksgiving, a yeah. safe Thanksgiving, and just let us all be thankful for what we have. You know, you know? And, and pray for a country that's a little bit more unified, a little bit more together, a little bit more willing to work with each other. So we're nicer to each other. Yeah. I just want to make a comment. Some people ask me sometimes why do we don't comment a little bit more on current events. And the reason for that is this show is taped and is played, you know, five, six times during the week. So we never really know what's going to happen you know we, we we could have a current event on very topical on the first show and by the time our last show is played uh it could be a little bit out of date so when some people say why didn't you mention this or that you know on, on the radio show again we're we're a tape show and if if you want to ask us questions to be heard on the show michael again where's our what's our email our email is ask mike connors connors of course spelled c-o-n-n-o-r-s Ask Mike Connors at gmail.com. 
All right, so we hope to be back on the same station's times next week. Uh, again, enjoy your Thanksgiving. It's one of the few holidays maybe we still you know, can enjoy some. It's not doesn't, Thanksgiving so far doesn't have any controversy. I'm sure it will in a couple of years. But God bless. See you next week. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for joining us. Kevin McCullough, are you or your parents' assets protected from nursing home bills? Did you know these bills can exceed $15,000 a month? People work their entire lives to live comfortably in retirement, but when people become ill and need to go to a nursing home or receive home care, the bills can drain their assets, leaving many people bankrupt. The good news is that you can prevent that from happening if you plan in advance. Connors and Sullivan's lawyers can customize a plan that specifically protects your interests, including your home. Schedule a free comprehensive telephone consultation with Mike Connors to discuss your issues and concerns from the security of your home. Call today, 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500. Don't let nursing home bills take your life's savings and leave you and your loved ones bankrupt. Don't wait another minute. Mike Connors can take you through the process by telephone and start a plan designed for you today. That's 718-238-6500. 718-238-6500. The preceding pre-recorded program paid for by Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law, PLLC. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.